0: and welcome everybody to my independence report as you can see we have a full house here and uh we're looking forward to having a great lively exchange because we've got uh well you know eric um he i keep finding out more things about eric that i did not know uh that he was a model in his youth and he did some sort of dancing of some kind and and he did he he has done a bunch of stuff one of which was when he was a teenager he was with a um, a couple of drum and bugle corps. And uh, since I was not, and I know very little about it, I'm going to give him the microphone to take the lead so that he can talk about, we're going to specifically talk about the only active current drum and bugle corps out of Seattle. Is that correct, Eric?
1: That's correct. I think there's one still active in Oregon. Is that right? And the Tri-Cities area? Actually, um...
2: yeah. There's one in the Tri-Cities. Um, we haven't heard exactly what they have planned for 2022, but um, they're supposed to be um, up and running.
1: Up and running. Good, good. See, now, all of us that you see here, Garth and Dave and Tim, we've known each other since the 70s. You know. Right. The, Yeah, since the 70s. So Drum Corps, as much of a kid's activity that it is and a learning process, it's about community. And this is really one of the wonderful things that you learn about Drum Corps. And Drum Corps has a long, rich history. Uh, It started out as uh, back in the Civil War as Fife and Drum Corps part of the military because that's how they would communicate to the troops. And, you know, back then, the military, when they went into battle they would make formations they do gates and swings and company fronts and that's how battles were waved and that's why people got their asses kicked so bad because you know they didn't spread out they just took the cannonballs of the boulders but there's something beautiful about uh rotating gates and uh lines that move directions and so forth and through the years uh, after the civil war uh they were adding bugles and stuff because you could communicate farther those bugles would make the uh calls uh, could be heard farther than a flute, and these organizations would do parades and community events and so forth. After World War II, uh, drum corps uh, became pretty common in just about every city, all kinds of neighborhoods. Uh, They're almost exclusively uh, sponsored by VFW groups. Uh, it was almost necessary for most of the competitive uh, organizations that organized these groups that you had to be sponsored by some sort of VFW hall or group to get into. Or the Mar-
3: American Legion, too.
1: American Legion, thank you. And it quickly became its own sort of art form. And through that art form, of course, there's always changes. And in the 70s, it was a time of great growth where more instrument instrumentation was added and dance and theater was added and now today it's a it's a dynamic they talk about it as a athletic sport now an art sport and it really is a good it's an accurate description because it takes an olympic effort to put together a show like this from every performer It takes hours and hours and hours of preparation and rehearsal. And as you can see here, because these guys are my age, we don't perform anymore. These are all for the kids. And there's almost as much people involved behind the scenes as there are performing on the field because of the complexity of the organization and the costs involved. Because you've got to provide a place to rehearse for, what, 150 kids now?
3: 154.
1: Oh, 154 kids, which means those kids have to have instruments, which are very expensive, horns and drums. And then you have props, flags and uh, spinning utensils. I call them utensils. We used to call them rifles. But now it could be virtually anything, right? Anything. Right.
2: And I, I've seen some very interesting things on the field <laughs> over the uh, past several years. And it's
1: just,
2: mind-boggling. It's yeah. It's
1: mind-boggling. The, the creative energy in uh, – is it even called drum corps anymore? Do we call it drum corps? we just saw it? Well, before? it's
2: it's more referred to as drum corps. Um, you don't hear much of people saying drum and bugle corps anymore. Part of it has to deal with that, well, we don't march bugles anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, it's everything all, it's everything. all
1: B-flat instruments, right?
2: Correct. Right.
1: Yeah. And woodwinds are now part of the scheme. And string instruments, no,
3: no, huh? Some people are trying, but been resistant.
1: Uh, I can understand why because I remember Santa Clara Vanguard, which is one of the uh, great drum corps, was using a violin a few years back and yeah, did some pretty interesting effects. But anyway, you get the idea. This is a pretty complex uh, effort that takes an Olympian. Takes an Olympian effort by every performer involved. It takes years of rehearsal to become uh halfway decent at it. Uh, so kids start off in at 12, 14 years old and they stay in it till they're 21. That's when they age out of the group. And then like us diehards here, like uh Garth and Dave and Tim, uh they're now in their, well, they're now in their 60s and <laughs> they're the behind 70. the scenes of- and 70s. <laughs>
4: these- oh God. 77. Garth. 77. You go, Garth. Se- are you really? Yeah, You're I'm
1: 70? 77. Wow, man. I have no I'm, idea. I'm
3: 78.
1: Are you really? Yep. God,
3: you
2: guys look great.
3: Drum Corps keeps you young. Oh, yeah.
2: I guess so, as <laughs> with the kids, you have no choice.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess so.
3: So, Eric, I, I wanted to add one thing uh, yeah. to your description of Drum Corps. A few years ago, a doctor, I don't know what his specialty was, kinesiology or cardiology or something. He uh, wired up one of the performers of a drum corps to see how much energy they expended during a show. And he determined that they expend as much effort as an Olympian does in their okay. in their sport. So that just shows you what level that uh, the performers are achieving on the field
1: wow well you know it takes a lot of athletic ability but you have to be in extremely good physical shape which means that you guys are teaching the kids how to move and Mm -hmm. dance by professional teachers that understand the body and how to get it into shape nutritionists and all that that's just the groundwork right we haven't even got into learning how to play their uh, chosen instruments whether it's a brass instrument or drums or if it's a twirling uh, twirling or dance of uh, tool, utensil, yeah. what should <laughs> I call it?
3: <laughs> just
4: call it color girl Yeah, just that, yeah, Just, one, go ahead. One thing you have to add to that is What's the that? fact that nowadays you have to travel with a person that has a medical background, generally a nurse, to take care of any sprains or bumps or bruises that come along the way Mm
1: -hmm. is that right
4: that's required
3: now yeah
2: yes yeah 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 Uh, you know once again because of the activity because it is performance art that's really what a lot of uh, the organizations refer to themselves as performance art groups um the physical demands you know of a show will really take its toll. And even in a practice, when you're out on the field practicing, you know, you're doing that for several hours a day. Um, It just starts to take its toll. And it doesn't matter how young or how fit you may be, you know, eventually something will happen. You might get a strain or a sprain and you need some sort of medical attention.
1: Well, you know, the kids today are so much more talented and uh, learned than uh, the people of my era you know i don't think i i don't think i could make a top 10 horn line now from what there is now and in my day i could hold my own with any part you know in any chord. today i would i'd be a washout the Mm -hmm. the dedication and the extreme uh i don't want i don't know if it's fair for me to say mastery of what they're doing is that even fair for they have
2: sure. a full, yeah, yeah they have a I mastery think, I think that's that's a good word mastery. Um, you learn over seasons, especially if you've marched several seasons um, to hone your craft to be able to play your brass instrument better to be able to play your percussion instrument better to be able to move on the field in such a manner that it feels natural that you're doing that you know no different than as if you were just walking down the street.
1: See, and I'm glad you said it feels natural because it we practice 14 hours a day during the summer when we were on tour. You know, and when I say practice, sometimes it'd be broken up into different things. It might be uh, field work where you're learning the drill, might be sectionals where the horn line is working on one thing and the drum line is working on another, color guard is working on something else, then they come together later. So you spend 14 hours a day rehearsing on this during the summer. But during the winter, the individuals you know, might practice, show up for practice a couple of times a week to get together with the core. But at home, they're practicing however much time they have available to them uh, during that winter.
4: Nowadays, oh. nowadays, what happens is that uh, you have a camp or a get-together, and the instructors give the membership uh, their lessons, and then they have uh, meetings like Zoom meetings where they where the instructors look and see what the students have accomplished before the next meeting. So a lot of it is happening online now, where in the past, of course, there wasn't anything
1: no kidding online is that just because of COVID, or is that because of so many kids coming in from all over
4: all over. mostly we've had yeah, most, mostly mostly coming to us from japan and italy and all over the united states so yeah it's all over That's yeah in, in
3: our in <laughs> our last uh, performance season we had uh 28
0: states, Canada, and Japan represented in our core.
3: Wow.
0: 28? Yeah. Yes. So you truly are an international
2: group. Yes. Yes. I, I think that's how you would qualify it. Um, and that goes to say pretty much with a lot of the organizations that are competing in uh, drum bugle core competition. It's that. You're, you've got people from multiple states um, Canada, Europe, Asia um, you know you get the talent where you can find it
0: Now I got a question for the three of you, actually the four of you and and that is this you guys have been doing this virtually your entire lives. Um, when you were kids all the way till now, what's your passion? What motivates you? What drives you? Why? And first of all, I want to thank you guys for working with the youth of America because everyone that I've met that has gone through the core experience has had, have become, you know, good citizens and they take care of, and you guys, you know, have taken care of them and they take care of their, their families and they're, they really are good people. And uh, and I congratulate you guys for doing that. But let's start, Tim, let's start with you. What's your passion? Why are you doing this after all these years?
2: Why? Insanity. No, no. Uh, yeah. No, um, I think what really, when I look back, and that's really where it started, it was all the people along the way that helped me um, when I was a young shaver and drum and bugle corps, um, helped me You weren't
1: shaving when you joined corps.
2: No, I wasn't shaving when I (laughs) joined (laughs) corps. But um, they they helped me basically create the person that I was. Um, And and a lot of times people will sit and say the classic adage, like, well, you were going to be whomever you were no matter what. But I think um, through my experience that I received in drum corps, that that helped set me up for things further along in my life. And then when I saw what it had done to me, and I see the organization now, it kind of gives me that same feeling that, hey, you know what? Um, I'd like to see kids go through um, this process too to help them become better people as adults. And you can see it a lot of times with some of the people who, as we call it, age out, a drum corps and they move on with their lives. They, they'll get involved in other businesses, other activities. A lot of them stay towards music, but a lot of them will also go to other um, avenues. I remember one guy I marched with, well, he just retired here recently. He was a uh, chief of surgery um, for Kaiser Permanente. So, I mean, it, it goes to show you that this helps people along the way. It helps you become a better person.
0: Dave? Yeah, my
3: experience was a little bit different than the others because I never marched in a drum corps. Um, I was teaching band at uh, Inglemore High School in Bothell. And in walked uh, this guy I'd never met before, uh, Ed Petkovich, who at that time was the horn instructor for the Cascades. And he came in to see about recruiting some of my students. And so I told him I'd never seen drum corps before. So I wanted to know something about it before I recommended it to anybody. So I went to rehearsal, and uh, he got me. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I helped uh, teach the drum corps, uh, the, the brass line during that first year and and some succeeding years. But um, I I got hooked in drum corps because even as a as a high school band teacher, the the level of commitment that I saw in drum corps so far superseded anything that I had in, uh, in, in my music career, where the students basically were there to get a credit and play some nice music. But uh, drum corps ha- had a whole level of dedication that I had never seen before.
0: Well, Dave, I'll forgive you for uh, uh, working at Inglemore. I went to Juanita High School, <laughs> oh. and you guys kept on beating us up every year in football. Probably in music, too. <laughs> yeah, probably
2: a music
4: and, Garth,
0: too. Have, what's your story? How about you?
4: Well, my story, this is a good story That here. starts back in the late 50s when uh, the core director of A Little Core called the Greenwood Boys had lost their sponsorship and needed help and they came to my dad who was the principal of Monroe Junior High School and asked if they could have permission to rehearse there. Well, my dad goes absolutely and I've got a son that's a drummer and probably would be interested went out to rehearsal, Uh, a lady came up to me and introduced herself, and who are you? Oh, I'm Garth Stubbs, what do you play? I play a snare drum, here's a snare drum, go out to the field, they'll show you what to do. (laughs) So I went out, rehearsal's over, I came back, and I go, here's your drum, and she goes, nope, you hang on to it, and now, how many years later you can figure it out i'm still here
0: amazing it'd be it'd be 60
2: years but who's counting yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there's there's no number involved
1: well, no. you know we should we should talk about Gar's dad here for a couple of minutes because that's worthy of a discussion because without him uh we wouldn't be having this conversation right now uh, the cascades pretty much were founded by Garth, by by your dad, right? By Rod Stokes.
4: Yeah, Yeah. he he and Jack Avery, who was the instructor for the Thunderbirds at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, got together and uh, had a discussion about starting a new corps. And that was the Cascade Cadets. And it started out with about 13 kids with mismatched uniforms and trying to raise money to get something that assembled a uniform and equipment. Uh, Our our first fundraiser was called a smoker. A smoker? Because some... uh, promotional promoters, boxing promoters that were approached by my dad uh, for the possibility of doing a fundraiser for the core, And that's how it started. That was our first fundraiser was this uh, smoker. And your dad, kidding no. <laughs> no, no, no. And uh, That's so odd. yeah well we had smokers we had salmon baked. we collected newspapers to keep the core going. My last marching year was 63 and then I started instructing because we lost our instructor and I instructed until 95. And then uh, that was Sorry. that was enough. Of that for a while.
1: I can't imagine why. <laughs>
4: but then I got more involved with the administration and being part of the board, and here we are.
3: Wow. Well, you know, thank God thing... the
4: fundraising problems are done with, right?
3: Well, yeah. <laughs> Well, one thing to note is that these early years that we're talking about, uh, especially with Garth and the smokers and all that sort of thing, we were pretty much a local corps. And we did parades around Seattle and uh, local drum corps shows, but we weren't a traveling uh, enterprise throughout the country as we are now. So we can get away with doing paper drives and that kind of thing to raise money. But now it's a million-dollar operation, and it needs a lot more than a paper drive to keep us afloat.
1: How are you guys getting your money?
3: Well, oh, glad you asked. How <laughs> convenient. <laughs> <being in>. Yes. <laughs> um, the fundraising aspect of the core is kind of in my bailiwick. And uh, we get about 70% of our money to support the core comes from uh, member tuition. And uh, there's another 9% that we get from show fees, which are like appearance fees when we participate in a drum corps show that's sanctioned by DCI, which is our parent organization. And we get another 9% from uh, from our own show that we put on, usually in Renton every year. And then the rest of it is uh, various donations and fundraising but we really need to beef up the fundraising. And so we're talking about doing some uh, pretty pretty incredible things this coming year. We're talking about possibly doing a golf tournament. Uh, and uh, back in '77, we put on a, we put on a thing called Showcase 77. And we invited several different groups to be a part of this uh, event that included the Seattle Girls Choir. Uh, the Bothell uh jazz ensemble and we invited the, the Blue Devils Horn line to come up and we had Rod's uh performance group which was the uh C chordsman it was a it was a um barbershop uh, chorus and so
1: oh, I'm sorry I never put got up, to see that.
3: yeah we put the show on and so we're we're talking about maybe redoing this and inviting a whole bunch of different organizations to be a part of the showcase. So that's a, another idea that we've got. We're trying to develop um, uh, relationships with other organizations like the Seattle Symphony and uh, other other performance groups around the Seattle area. There are several uh, percussion groups that we're, we were trying to maintain a relationship with. And so uh, we we believe that the way that we are currently structured and the fact that we are on the road so much of the summer that hardly anybody in Seattle knows who we are anymore we don't we are not here for the for seafarer and, and a lot of the other events that go on that we used to participate in so we're looking to uh, expand uh, our performance groups so that we can have, uh, and an er- entertainment group that will p- perform around Seattle. And we're trying to develop uh, also a relationship with the Kraken, which is our new hockey team, and possibly doing entertainment at uh, their events. So we need to get out um, a, a, an enter- entertainment group that is going to be able to promote the Cascade name around Seattle so people begin to realize who we are again. We've just lost that over the years. So.
1: That is an awesome idea. I love the idea of a Seattle based performance group doing community events. That's uh, right. That is a perfect solution, right? And boy, what a great way to hook into the culture, lining up with Seattle Symphony and other performance organizations.
3: Well, Garth knows uh, quite a bit about that. One of our former percussionists is in the symphony. Oh, is that Keith? Keith. Yeah. So we're trying to use that contact to uh, get some sort of a regular
0: involvement with the symphony.
1: Huh. That'd be fantastic. God. Yep. Now,
0: I got a question for you guys that um, that we're going to have to touch on at one point, and that is, you know, times have changed since the 60s and the 70s, and um, I imagine with 150, how many kids? 154. 154. 154 kids that range in age from 12 to
2: 21 then like 16. Anymore. yeah generally in our organization you you know it's generally between like 17 or 18 to 21
0: ah so do you vet the kids do you vet the instructors do you have a protocol that you guys go through to make you know for discipline and to make sure everybody does what they're supposed to do and all of that kind of stuff
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's there's uh, required documentations um, that all members and all staff must um, read and sign, which uh, regards their behavior on and off the field during the performance season. Um, There there's obviously a lot of don'ts on there. Um, There's, you know um the way it's supposed to be set up this way you don't have the issues that tend to come up with sometimes with some of these other groups. Um, you'll find sporting activities like youth football or youth baseball and they're traveling someplace and you hear these stories about well, the kids went to this hotel and they trashed the room or you know they uh, uh, threw stuff into the pool or things like that. Our rules are pretty, well set and it's pretty much established by drum corps international which is dci um, that you have to adhere to these certain policies
0: well i admire you guys because 154 teenagers is like herding cats (laughs) well
1: this is uh this was my experience because i I did uh, participate in the 70s and there was a 70s culture going on if you guys uh, recall what that is but When it came to rehearsal time and performance time, uh, we were all about business. We were highly motivated to be successful at what we're there to do. So I think kids that join an organization like this, because of all the effort that they put into on their own time, even just to make the core, just to try out, audition, get accepted into the core, that's already a huge accomplishment. So there's already a lot to risk by falling out of line out of what needs to be done to continue to contribute to the core am i right
2: yeah exactly right. exactly um and like you eric I, I was a product of marching in the 70s and uh, you know it was that thing that you know more often at practice when you're on you're on um, you you know you did your drill you played your music you made sure that Everything you did was right on the field. Um, once you were off the field, you know, you're taking a break, you could, you know, kind of goof off, you could horse around. But once the instructor said, you know, time to practice, um, we came to practice. Um, we were probably a little looser back then than they are now. I mean, I've watched the <laughs> students these days when an instructor says, you know, hit the marks, they hit the marks. And there's no questions asked. There's not a lot of talking. Um, They do exactly as they're told. It's not like they're robots, but they know what they're there for, and they know what the objective is.
4: There's a difference between the olden days and now, as far as the kids go, is that in the olden days, the parents took a lot of responsibility for getting us from point A to point B for feeding and all that stuff. Well, you still have people involved, volunteers involved in helping. But nowadays it's the kids that are loading, unloading, making sure the equipment's running properly, taking care of the horns, uh, helping the people that do work in the cooking trailer to help feed, to clean up. It's, It's totally amazing to see these kids or not kids, young adults on the field that are definitely interested in performing as perfectly as they possibly can and being as quiet as they can to receive instructions and then get off the field and help put out the food, all that stuff, it blows me away.
3: Just to take that a little bit further too, you know, uh, we we have a leadership group within the core and it starts with the drum majors and then there are other section leaders, and all that sort of thing. And they are the ones that uh, kind of are the backbone of getting all of this organization going. And the thing that that I admire so much about these young people is that they they are the ones that, that become community leaders, owners of businesses when they leave the Corps. And as we said, the we have a former member who's now a member of the Seattle Symphony. A lot of these people become educators, and uh, so they really drum corps has given them the experience and the tools to become these fine young people that they do become. The other thing that I wanted to mention is that all of our instructional staff goes through a background check. They we we use the the um, all the means that we have available to to make sure that their their records are clean and that we can trust these people you know because it's a big responsibility once we're on the road there's not much you can do when you're on the road except send them home so we we try to make sure that uh that all our policies are are in in the five the best legal position that they can be and that all the, all the uh, members of the corps and the staff are vetted
0: well, you know, two two of my closer friends are uh graduates of the of the core and uh um they're married now. I, I was just curious, have you kept any statistics? Because these are all young people. Have you kept any statistics on how many marriages have come out of the uh,
2: Corps? <laughs> There's not a few. Not really, but I know that, you know, during my era there were several people who um ultimately wound up uh married and you know, I think all of them are living pretty happy lives now. So, um, and I know, you know, from looking at the, like with the Thunderbirds, you, you look at their um, page on Facebook, um, one of their guys, Jerry Logan, always posts birthdays and anniversaries, and you see all these anniversaries of people who marched together in the Corps, and now they're married, and now they're, 45 and 50 years into their marriage. So, um, you know, it, it happens. That's that's really cool because, you know, what what the, you guys are teaching them
0: because they've got to be there all the time. They've got to work really hard at what they're doing. They're learning work ethic. They're learning commitment. They're learning how to be on time. They're learning all the skills that is necessary for them to be successful in life. And you guys are working to teach that all the time. It must be really rewarding for you guys. Absolutely.
2: Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I I look at, again, my own experiences when I first started marching and I had no idea of what it was I was getting into. I had a friend who had talked me into it and then he quit a week after I got in. So, <laughs> so I was like, oh, great. So now I, I'm going to have to tough this out. I could either leave and you know join some of my other friends and do dumb things out on the street and race cars <laughs> and things like that. Or I can, can march summer. Yeah. you can know. race cars. Yeah. I could have raced cars. You know, oh. I, at, the, at the time I had a I had a pretty impressive car. So it was, you know, I, I could have done that, but you know, I decided to march and, you know, I worked my way up. Um, um, Garth kind of, Put me on the instrument of torture for a few seasons, <laughs> marching a field timpani, which is yeah. not really a whole lot like a concert timpani, but it carries <laughs> a lot of weight just like a timpani. So, and you still talk to Garth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
4: I can't figure I, out. I I, owe, I owe Tim a great deal of gratitude <laughs> for what he went through.
2: Yeah, it stretched well, his back. Well, after after uh, a few seasons of that, that's when I decided I needed to become a drum major. So. I didn't have to march another instrument of torture again. <laughs> well, so, I'm for, those, the, for the, those, those of us that have them.
0: never been in the corps, what the heck is an instrument of
2: torture? What what is that? Eric? Well, it's, <laughs> it, it is a heavy instrument. Um, a, a lot of the uh, instruments, you know, the brass instruments for the most part aren't that bad. But once you start getting larger in size with the brass, especially when you're dealing with, um, well, they we call them uh, tubas now, but they're contrabasses, which are basically like a tuba, and they're very large, and very heavy, and very cumbersome. Well, the same thing goes with the percussion line. You know, you have snare drums, and you have tenor drums, which aren't that bad. Cymbals, depending on the size, aren't too horrible either, but once you start getting into bass drums, and back then we marched timpanis, um, those could weigh, you know, 40, 45 pounds easy, and marching in an 11-minute show, or um you know, I think another friend of mine had brought up um, a classic parade that we used to march in Tri Cities, where it was five miles in you know ninety plus degree heat. It's uh, you know it it took a lot out of you. So um, that's what I kind of referred to as an instrument of torture. That is ridiculous. But one of the
3: things that has changed so much over the years is the instrumentation. For example, there are four sections in a drum court. There's the brass, the on-field percussion, which is called the battery. Then we have the color guard. And then we have the instruments that are not marched along the sidelines, uh, which is called the pit. And those are all the instruments that we used to have to march with, uh, like the timpani. We don't march timpani anymore. And we have one player that plays all four timpanis together, plus marimbas, Xylophones, gongs, and all sorts of other
0: immovable instruments. Gong. <laughs> kind of like the Gong Show. Oh, so now the yeah. color guard. How how big is the color guard, and do they just do they do more acrobatics today than they used to do? Oh
2: yeah. Oh, <laughs> far they're far and away today, much more. Um, performance-oriented. I guess that's the best way to do it because they're trying to create a picture um, with the brass and the um, percussion doing basically the narrative of the show. And so they're creating the pictures behind that. And they could be dancing across the field. They could be literally running across the field. And it's a 100-yard football field. So, you know, you've got to move a lot. And so, you know, some of the things have changed Um, back in, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, um, when you had your color guard, um, the rifle line generally had, you know, what did for all intents and purposes appear to be a rifle. It was wood, metal, um, and they were heavy. And, you know, a couple of times when they would uh, twirl them, you know, they lost control of it and it hit them. It you can literally knock them out. Nowadays, you know, they're marching fiberglass, carbon fiber, um, the lightest materials possible to get like the maximum spin rate off the rifle or, like Eric said, uh, whatever the object may be. You, you don't know what it is that they may twirl or may uh, throw in the air, but you know, everything's a lot lighter, which makes it easier for them, which allows them to move quicker across the field.
1: And you guys are using pretty elaborate things nowadays. Like there's sculptures being used. Uh, I could say you know they resemble ladders or uh, ramps. Uh, you guys actually used uh, lack of a, a better word, a cage,
4: right? A bird cage.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We had a props, show in 2017. Props have become
4: yeah. a major part of what's happening nowadays to everybody's detriment because nowadays a lot of cores have such large props that they have to have a semi-truck solely devoted to props.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it's it's become this game. It started probably um, early 1990s when people wanted to expand what they did on the field or create a bigger picture of what was going on. So you started to see these objects that were being placed on the field. They started out small, then they got larger and larger. And, you know, soon, like Gar said, you've gotten to the point where um, your equipment truck, you have to have a separate equipment truck just for the props that you're staging out on the field. And, And again, with those props, you have to move them on the field yourself, and you have to move them off the field yourself. Usually, that requires members or volunteers. Um, we have a lot of cores that will have what they call a gator, you know, kind of a, um off-road vehicle, um, and they'll tow this stuff on the field, and then they'll tow it right back off.
1: And that has to be done in a certain amount of time, right? I and mean, there's a time limit right. on how much time you can spend. Yeah. Yeah, well, so that's have, sort of part of your whole rehearsal process. Do this and then do that, do this, do that, get yeah. it out of the office. Yeah.
2: Yeah. While well, you have basically, I think it's 10 and a half to 12 minutes to perform your show, they give you 15 minutes to get everything on the field and get everything off the field, wow.
0: which is halftime for uh, like a, in a football game or something like that. So you have got to really be quick.
2: Exactly.
4: And you have to take in a, in account the venue that you're performing in, because access to the field in different stadiums is very trying, <laughs> should I say, hmm. because of width and height restrictions. the uh, Before you start working on props to put it out there, you have to have dci's schedule of where you're going to perform and know what stadiums you're going to be in and what those restrictions are to get out on the field so sometimes you have to have props that break down into multiple pieces that you can get into the stadium and then reassemble by the membership
2: on the field. And that in itself, too, you know, that's part of that training during the season. It's not just the members training to perform on the field their show, but it's also when you have props of such size, you have to be able to make sure that you can get these things assembled and disassembled as quickly as possible. And so people will practice doing that, just taking um, a prop, putting it together, taking it apart, knowing how to wheel it away, knowing how to uh, put it in place. It it can get um, it can get very daunting. You know, I was just thinking
0: that uh, it used to be that that you could go to a football game like a professional football game. And they always had, you know, you know. cores and stuff at halftime. They don't do that as much anymore. Do you guys have any idea why that is?
4: Oh, yeah. Financial. (laughs) It's all financial. Yes, it is. uh, They can do ads, television ads. They don't want to be showing something on the field that isn't making them money.
2: Oh, that's so sad. That's that's probably true to the uh, uh, strongest point. It's that um, where you know whether it be a drum corps or an ensemble or anything that gets involved with halftime entertainment um, on the field, they don't want it to distract from what they're doing, which is selling a product. Um, that's why more often than not, if you watch a football game now, when you go to halftime, you will see the ads come in, then you'll see the announcers. Um, you know, set off someplace else away from the field more often than not, where they can't see the field. So even if you can hear music, you don't see what's going on down there. Now, back in the earlier days, you know, it wasn't a problem for them because it was something that they considered filler, but as time went on and filler suddenly wasn't making money, then you had to go a different direction. Well, and I'm glad that you guys
0: are, going to, are talking to the Kraken because I think that would be a a great place for you and a great venue for you to to uh, to go at halftime because they don't televise every every one of those games.
1: So, are, uh, are you guys considering wearing skates instead of uh, marching shoes? <laughs>
2: uh, I don't know if that would work out so well. No? I, mean, I want
1: to see it though. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd a
2: skate it. and a drum, or a skate? Yeah, and
4: a tour? yeah. Go, go ahead, carry the tuba. I'll tell you. A <laughs> Back in my day, when I was marching, the Thunderbirds hockey, junior hockey, was performing down at the center. And we did a lot of hockey halftime shows with regular sh- marching shoes, the, On the, sli- ice? the slick military shoes. And yeah, kids would fall, bend up <sighs> horns, but oh man,
1: that's brutal. We man. That's still get a, it. That's a Saturday Night Live skit right there, man. There. <laughs> <laughs> I have well, to pay to see
2: that. Yeah, <laughs> you can, you but I, I think that I think that you know, should we get involved with uh, the uh, Kraken organization or any of the uh, professional organizations in town um, to bri- provide entertainment during half times or breaks and periods, um, that you know we'll we'll be able to work it out that. You know, maybe they're playing off to the side or obviously we're not going to do any fancy maneuvers out on the ice. If if we are on the ice, sure. um, it'll just be a simple matter of stand still and play some music. And, you know, uh, well,
1: there's some precedent because the sounders have the sound wave. And right. that's very much, you know, I, I know those guys were UW guys, but there's also so many drum corps guys. I, I was in sound wave for a year. Yeah, a number of people were in drum corps, and it's very much a drum corps style organization, same as their drum line that does the Seahawks.
2: Yeah, uh, Blue, yeah Blue, Thunder. Blue, Thunder. Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder. Blue Thunder.
1: Yes. Yeah. So there's precedent to this, and yeah, I think it's a great match. Great match.
2: I I think that you know once everything starts to get established and settled with their organization, um, and we're able to you know make an approach to them and you know try to uh, promote our product um, we should have an opportunity to be able to perform you know if not every game at least you know a fair number of games because i'm sure that you know there's other um, organizations vying for attention as well but if we can get our foot in and get enough exposure at those games that would be beneficial not only for us But it would be beneficial for the activity. It would also be beneficial for some of the other youth activities in this area.
1: You know, and one of the things that we haven't talked a lot about yet is uh, Color Guard and how that's changed over the
4: year. Let me me give you my condensed version of why we are where we are today. Okay. Drum Corps started out, and the only color guard that you had was an American flag, a rifle, or a saber guard to make sure the flag was not violated in any way, and you had specific rules about how that had to be done. Well, that was all fun and good, but in this area, in our area in the seattle area my dad was going well that's nice but there is no activity for young women to work in so that's why we became the first core in this area to have a girl color guard what was, was their?
2: their function was
4: to make sure that they were in line you had three horns three or four horns and a color guard member three or four horns and a color guard member their job was to keep the stupid horn players no offense (laughs) to any stupid horn players (laughs) in line well that's all well and good but wouldn't it be nice if they were just doing something other than just marching along so then they started doing routines okay that's well and good but during the winter when the drum corps has solo and ensemble competitions why doesn't the color guard have something so this area developed color guard competitions and what was that you had a color guard with a color guard captain going up, two, three, four, up, two, three, four. In a military fashion, company fronts, turns, gates, all that stuff go off the field. Well, that's all nice and good, but wouldn't it be nice if there was some music to go with this? So what did they do? They added a snare drummer. I was the snare drummer for one of the color guards and I would play along and they would march a routine that they had had created to my drum beats. Then, okay, that's all well and good, why not recorded music? Okay, recorded music, that's all well and good, but shouldn't they be doing more than just marching up and down and around and about? Why, yes, why don't we do more stuff that's akin to dance and here we are today with drum cords rolling around on the floor on the ground (laughs) jumping around like crazy people wearing drums for all for god's sake oh Uh, yeah yeah Yeah. that's my brief history of why we are where we are today it's the color guard's fault (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and you said you mentioned earlier, if you're just joining us, you mentioned earlier that you actually have a trainer that uh, that works with the kids, because I imagine that some of the acrobatics and things that they do, that you have a lot of soft tissue injuries and things like that, you know, hamstrings and that kind of thing that you can that really need to be taken care of. Under, on Because you guys are gone. A typical trip would be how long would the kids be on the road for About two to two two and a half months. Uh, Continually?
2: Yes. Well, yeah, from uh, late June, early July through mid-August. Yeah, once we leave from our home show here in the Seattle area, typically Renton, um, they are gone and they do not come back until mid-August.
0: Holy... Wow. I had no idea that the travel was so ex- extensive. How many buses does 154 kids take to, f- to fill Three, out with uh, equipment? Up to four buses.
3: We travel with a uh, entourage of four buses, uh, a van, um, two semi-tractor trailers. One is our kitchen, and one is all of our instruments, props, uniforms, that type of thing, and another... Another uh, another vehicle. So that's that's our entourage of vehicles. Who does your shopping
0: for you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we have uh, we have what we call a uh, um, culinary director, and he kind of um, um, sets up the uh, um, menu for what's going to happen during the trip. Um, we have a contract usually with. Um, one of the food vendors such as Cisco or uh, one of the other ones. And they will, during the tour, um, because like Cisco is a nationwide company, during that tour, they'll meet us at a location and they will restock our refrigerator and freezer and, um, you know, our other foods um, during the tour. So it's constantly done. And when you consider... 154 kids, 154 students. I don't like calling them kids. Um, Then you have your staff, you have your volunteers. You're probably looking at feeding 200 plus people at least three times a day. I had two
0: teenagers and they ate me out of house and home. How do you feed 154 teenagers? Well, they, the, uh,
3: the uh, chef or the culinary director uh, has a menu uh, that he that he devises throughout the whole season. And uh, we try to feed the kids um, a Olympic style meal at least three and usually four times a day, so that they are fully prepared. And uh, there's always an abundance of PB and J. And that's kind of a standard drum corps uh, staple. <laughs> As a matter of fact, we just had a had an alumni picnic uh, a few weeks ago, and at least two people bought gigantic containers of PB and J just to that's remember. That's funny. That's <laughs> funny. And nobody right. ate it
2: either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I got kind of an aversion to that. I, it brings yeah. back memories. <laughs> Not, there's, there's, behind you. Um, you happen to have a, a good example of what a mobile kitchen would look like. That That's one that belongs to the uh, Blue Stars, and they're from La Crosse, Wisconsin. As you can see, that's a 50-foot, 3-foot trailer. Usually, they're trailers that have been modified from, like, a moving van or for the select few that have the very deep pockets. They can buy them brand new. Um, it's outfitted with a tilt skillet, at least two... Um, ovens, um, a griddle, um, all these things, so that they can whip this food out as fast as possible, and uh, giving them foods that is as healthy as possible. What is uh, that? Three, four, five hundred thousand dollars for that, right? There? Uh, yeah, if you bought one brand new, I think um, you're looking at half a million dollars easy, um, and it can it can run up to a million dollars. I've heard. Um, some organizations that have bought them brand new have paid up to a million dollars for those trailers. Um, we just managed to uh, purchase a trailer which we are now converting over to a mobile kitchen, which, you know, it's it's an arduous process. Um, we have to have people who know and understand how to do plumbing, how to do electrical, how to do uh, um, uh, fitting of... Uh, panels and lumber inside. And, you know, we always look for help um, for that kind of thing. And I mean, know, if there's somebody out there that knows people that would enjoy doing something like that, because, well, one, it's not yours, but it's uh, it's something to do. It, it, um, it provides, you know, a sense of accomplishment when you've gotten that done. When we did the same thing with our um, equipment trailer, it was It's just a nice thing to have it fitted in such a manner that everything fit into it perfectly. That's the same thing we're gonna go through with the mobile kitchen. But like I said, this is a little different because now you're dealing with electrical, you're dealing with uh, pipes, you're dealing with um, um, propane, um, water, you know, you've gotta have all this stuff set up in such a manner that uh, you can um, get this um, to work. So um, like I said, again, you, you look at the size of that trailer and you come to realize that, that yeah, it's that big because it has to feed that many people. I'm also assuming
0: that your buses have got uh, toilets in them? Um, <laughs> yes, they do,
2: but no, they can't use them. <laughs> now, this is the interesting thing. Um, we charter um, these buses from you know companies that are in the area, And generally the rule is that because the people who do this have to spend some uh, uh, time off the road because they're under DOT rules, um, they have to stop every couple of hours. So that means that those couple of hours, that's when that break comes in for everybody to bail off the bus and uh, do what they need to do and then get back on so we can continue on. But uh, it's a general rule, they they don't want those used because they, you know, no. Yeah. Well, you see,
0: because I, I was kind of figuring that you would probably have got a communal rule that, like, if you need to use number one, you can go use number one, but you dare not do number two. <laughs>
2: uh. Yeah, I you know I I would say if if it is a point of desperation, yeah, you know, but uh, you know, it's kind of that thing just like. When you're your kids and we went on a trip with mom and dad, it's like, why didn't you go when we left the house? <laughs> before we left the house. It's like, that's what you try to, you know, make sure that they know and understand. It's like, do it now because it's going to be two hours before you get a chance to do it again.
0: Typically, how long would a bus trip last? How far would you go between stops?
3: Well, I mean, between it, it, varies, it, it varies, but uh, I think the longest is like 400, 450 miles. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. The,
4: the deep, dark secret that hasn't been spoken here yet. Do tell is the fact that a drum corps these days that's on tour, what does your day look like? Well, you get up, obviously, about nine o'clock, probably, dependent. You rehearse till lunch. Then you start getting ready to perform, because you're gonna perform that evening, you go to the stadium, you do your performance, you hear your scores, you have a a snack or a meal before you get on the bus at approximately 11 or 12 o'clock at night, you travel all night until you reach your housing which can be three or four in the morning you unload the bus with your sleeping bags to go into a school gym that can have air conditioning or not have air conditioning and lay down for a couple hours before you have to get up and do it all over again.
0: Yep. who Pretty gets typical. to be the who gets to be the chaperone that gets to sleep on the floor in the gym? That's 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 heavy duty right there.
2: Well, you know, once again, that's a, it's a volunteer thing. Um, we'll have uh, people that will actually uh, travel with the corps during the summer, and they'll you know go ahead and bed down on the gymnasium floor now back in our era bedding down on the gymnasium floor usually meant a sleeping bag on wood <laughs> so um nowadays um you know everybody's got their quick inflatable air mattresses and you know I've seen a few of them that I swear they look like beds um they're that tall it's it it, it just amazes me but you know what? You're still sleeping on a gymnasium floor, no matter how you look at it. Well, okay, the most
4: interesting thing that I've seen recently is that one of the members brought an inflatable couch. And that's what <laughs> they slept on, was this big couch? inflatable couch.
2: Okay. Well, yeah.
4: well you, know, you know, you didn't like that person. Like
2: the kids
0: today with the uh, with the smartphones and they can watch movies all night long if they if they're not unloading the truck at four o'clock in the morning um, and stuff like that. So I imagine it's different than when you guys were younger doing this because everything's changed.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um,
4: <laughs> back in well, that, the day, it was. Thing that we have to do is the ma- they have to control phone usage. So if you're in a rehearsal, there's no phone, and there's no phone going off because that's not what you do when you're rehearsing.
1: My, you're my, right. first, my first tour, I was 12 years old. We were in California, and I was supposed to call my parents uh, at a certain point, which I did because we had that day off. It was scheduled for that, and I didn't get there on time, of course, and I got there just before the buses were pulling away. And I called my mom, who I hadn't spoken to for, you know, three, four days, which was the longest we had ever gone at that point. And the last thing I said to her was, oh, my God, the buses are pulling away. Mm -hmm. And that was the last time that I'd spoken to her for four or five days. After that, when I called back, she said, the last thing you said to me was, oh, my God, the buses pulled away. (laughs) (laughs) But she knew I was in a safe environment, uh, so she wasn't overly worried about it.
0: Well, I applaud everything that you guys do and, and for fundraising and, and stuff. And we want to help you here. Um, now, Eric had a great idea, and I want to know what you guys think about it. What we'd like to do is to kind of follow you through a season and to bring on some some different characters from your group and some of the kids and, and give them the opportunity to be on a podcast and, and uh, to talk about stuff and what their experience is. Would you guys be up for that? Absolutely.
2: Yes, yeah, I, I, I don't see a problem with that. I, I think it would provide a great opportunity for people to see what goes on, the uh, inner working, so to speak, of what a drum corps does and how it is that they prepare starting you know, with the first tryouts in November and December. Then you go into the camps and then you start learning the music. Um, you start learning aspects of the drill, and you just continue on. And you can see the determination on some of the um, students' faces of you know what they want to do to make themselves better, to make sure that they're able to make the cuts, so to speak, and that they are able to march for the summer.
3: One thing I'd like to do before we uh, bring those folks in is to tell you about our upcoming events. Starting on November 21st, we are going to have experience camps in Texas, St. Louis, Missouri, and Boise, Idaho, and uh, here in the Seattle Seattle area. We haven't got uh, the exact locations uh, pinned down yet, but we have a website, and it will be on the website. And then our very first audition camp will be December seventeenth, uh, again somewhere around Seattle. So, and if you, all people, that information is on our website.
0: Yeah, and people would like to explore the website. Where do they go? What's the name of the website? Well, that's that's easy.
2: That's Seattle Cascades, all one word. dot org. Um, Seattle Cascades. Dot org. Oh, and by the way, if you Google just
0: Cascades you're the first one to come up so the Seattle cascade so that so you can find that pretty easily and by the way they're always looking I imagine for qualified volunteers always looking for um, people to like I don't know like give money and and they're always looking for talent I imagine
3: but you know one of the things oh, yes. that's on our our two to five year plan is to increase the size of our of our board of directors. And we're looking for talented people uh, who have a business acumen that can help us with fundraising and some of the uh, ongoing issues that we have with the Corps. So if anybody is interested in getting involved with a youth organization on an organizational basis, this would be a great way to do it.
2: Exactly. And what in terms of volunteers, um, we are always looking for volunteers, as I mentioned earlier, with the construction of our new mobile kitchen. We're looking for some people who have some experience working with the electrical, working with uh, um, plumbing, um, working with um, basically it's kind of like home construction, but it's that you're building something inside of something. Um, we always look for people to help um, in our community. Um, cook staff. Uh, we always look for people to help in uh, um, when we have these camps to uh, come and assist us in uh, preparing the uh, facilities, helping uh, um, uh, load and unload items. I'm not asking to carry a, a marimba around with you but we're, you know we're just looking for people who can help us with some of the ancillary stuff that'll make it a little easier for us to get in a a facility and get out of a facility.
0: Oh, that's awesome. By the way, I was in the food service business for most of my life, so I would recommend um, Cisco is probably your best choice if you have a national contract. I assume you have a national contract with them. Yes, yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we've been working with Cisco for the past few years, and they've done a wonderful job with us. We're very happy with what they do and what they provide us.
0: No, they're, of the of the food service companies, there they, I think they're by far the best.
2: Mm-hmm. I never
0: worked for them, but uh, I, I I got I lost bids to them all the time. So yeah, <laughs> <was a> <laughs> well, you
2: know, big companies they do that. Um, but um, in terms of some other things, yeah, um, we're always looking for people who are you know willing to contribute to the organization, no matter how big or how small. Um, you know, the financial <laughs> assistance is always a great benefit. As David mentioned earlier, um, we're basically working on a million-dollar budget. And, and people will look at it and they'll say, well, why should this cost that much? Well, you have to remember, you're traveling across country, you're having to rent vehicles, um, you're having to stay in school facilities. Back in the day, you know, for the most part, you could get into a school and not have to pay a cent nowadays um, because of liability concerns, because of uh, uh, property concerns. um, Some of these facilities, and I had heard stories a few years back down in Texas, that they were charging as much as $9,000 a night to stay at their school, just to use their gymnasium and their um, um, football field. So, you know, when you're considering you're traveling you know, 33, 35 days and you're out on the road and you're having to stay at these facilities, it starts to cost a lot of money.
3: Right. You know, some other uh, opportunities too for, for volunteers, uh, Tim mentioned several, but we also have uh, volunteers that, that go on tour with the group and they, they can either spend the whole summer with us or more likely than not, they, they spend a week or two and then we fly people in and out to join the tour as it as it's needed and then of course during our camps which run from november through may we need help uh, at all of the camps so it's either doing food service or or uh, being a chaperone or in any other ways they can assist and of course when we you're breaking Uh up dave
2: Oh, looks like we we froze up on Dave there.
0: That's what it looks like. Yes.
2: Yeah, but um, what he had mentioned was uh, true. You know, having uh, some people assist us. You know, even if they can only go out oh. on tour for a couple weeks, um, there's the you know there's a benefit for them. One, it's kind of like getting your own vacation, um, and you get to. Do it with a bunch of other people, you know, and and you get to know people. That, that's that's what really becomes fun about it as well. And, and that's kind of why I, you know, I mean, I started in 1972 as a 15 year old kid, and you know, 49 years later, I'm still here. Uh, and, you know, but it, it's the uh, the opportunity to meet other people. It's the opportunity to exchange ideas. It's the opportunity to help create an organization that has a lasting effect upon the students that march, Because as we say, it's, it's a lifetime experience that you work with when you're marching in a drum corps. And these are things that will translate into opportunities further in life. When I left drum corps, um, I was working in the fast food industry and I parlayed that really into working into the transportation industry. I worked for the local transit agency, King County Metro, and I started out as a part-time driver. And when I left 38 years later, I was an operations chief and responsible for, you know, a couple hundred people, and also responsible to assist in the purchase of vehicles. So, you know, it it, it was these experiences that. I learned leadership from that translated into what I did further in in my life. You know,
0: it's amazing. You work for King County Metro. I know Eric works for Metro. He hates the job. No kidding.
3: Oh.
0: Um, <laughs> I worked for Metro I for twelve this. years, and and I, I want to say, Tim publicly that, and my family has openly admitted this. Metro literally saved my family's life because that job allowed me to make enough money and benefits and stuff that that we weren't living on the streets and and Metro is a fine company and people like you make it go and and God love you and uh, God God bless Eric he's still driving I had to retire but uh, um, I appreciate what you do
2: yeah, it, uh, as I said, it's the longest temporary job I ever had. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it's um, a, it, it's a great thing, and, and you bought some great buses. There were well, a couple of dogs in there. We won't talk about.
2: Uh, I, I wasn't responsible for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Only the good I, ones. I voiced my opinion on a few, and uh, <laughs> we'll we'll take your uh, opinion under advisement, but we're still going to go this way. <clears throat>
1: we, talk, we talked a little bit about the protege of the kids that come through this and what we ta- and what we teach them or what they learn through the process of Drum Corps. We, we touched on it, but uh, Tim brought up and Garth brought up some wonderful points that uh, you're learning about community and how to contribute. And what those kids learn through that lens is, is discipline and how to apply it. Because as you guys are talking about it, they're not just going out there to rehearse and have a good time. They're serious and they know how to make progress. They've captured the skills on how to learn something and apply it and take the next step. They learn what responsibility it is. They learn what to see the rewards of responsibility is and rewards of contributing to an organization and that's the end product that we're talking about this is what's so exciting about seeing some of the kids that might come on to the podcast and and maybe the radio show and talk about their experience in drum corps because us old guys you know can talk about our experiences and it won't mean as much as having some youngster come on and say this is the greatest thing in the world Mm -hmm. because I get to play my horn. It's like being a rock star as we travel around every city. And it doesn't feel like work. I'm having a great time and I can't wait to get out there. I've only practiced 14 hours today. I'm dog tired, but I'm looking forward (laughs) to practicing tomorrow. I've got to run. I've got to help clean up the field so that we can get ready for tomorrow. Those are the kinds of sentences that you don't hear out of the kid walking down the You probably aren't going to hear out of the kid walking down the street.
2: Exactly, um, you know the experiences that we've had, you know, while they they, in a sense, mirror some of the experiences that the younger uh, kids have now. Um, it's it's a lot more important to hear it, like you said, from their lips, from their mouth, saying that yes, you know, I'm learning things here that I never thought I would uh, learn. I'm learning how to um, work. As a team, I'm learning how to become a leader, like a section leader or even a drum major. I'm learning how to manage um, all this. I'm learning how to pace myself in such a manner that by the end of the day, yeah, I'm tired, but I'm not tired two hours before the end of the day in the middle of the show where I've got to make, you know, this block move and I'm going to goof it up because I'm too tired to do it. So it, it would be interesting to get the perspective of a marching member, um, a current marching member, and, and you guys hopefully will be able to do that during um, this winter and into the spring um, to uh, just get a little snippet from you know a couple of them that will uh, tell you of their experiences and how much they enjoy it. I mean, they're not here because mom and dad made them come in. They're and here it's they days wanted days. to do this.
1: Now, there's got to be a moment. You guys have to have a moment that you fell in love with drum corps. There's probably more than one. But if you guys could yep. share a moment that you recall, and tell me about that moment, about uh, that moment when you saw people playing the horns or when you were there. Tell me. Somebody uh, tell me about a moment you remember when you said,
3: I love this. Well, I can tell you mine. Um, back in the I can't remember the year, it was in the '60s I think. The VFW National Convention was at the World was at the uh, Seattle Center, and I saw that there was going to be a Drum and Bugle Corps competition at uh, Seattle at the uh, Memorial Stadium. When do you remember that, Garth?
4: '62.
3: Yeah,
4: '62. <laughs> okay. So I was never five,
3: I, I went to that competition, and that was my first, uh, my my first competition that I'd ever seen a drum a drum and bugle corps show, and I was sold. You know, I didn't get involved for a number of years until after that, but the, I just loved loved the whole pageantry of it, and uh, seeing all those drum corps from all over the world. Of course, we only saw the uh, finals, which was. Just the top drum and bugle course, but uh, it was really spectacular.
2: Come on, Tim. Tim, come on. Oh, oh, okay, my turn. Um, you know, like I said before, I had gotten involved because a friend of mine was in and he said, Oh, come on and join, you know. And so I joined, and then it's like, like I said, he quit a week later. So I'm <laughs> off on my own and I'm trying to figure all this out. Is this something that I really like to do? But I I started to really enjoy doing the shows, and I thought, "So this is kind of fun, you know. I I think I'll I'll keep doing this, and you know, see if I can, you know, hang on to this for as long as possible." But I think the moment that really kicked in because, you know, your first year if you're young, you're just there to goof off anyway. um, (laughs) 1974, a group of four of us. after a practice jumped into a car and we decided we were going to drive over to Boise, Idaho, because there was a big drum and bugle core competition there with the top drum cores in the country. And so we drove over and uh, we watched it. And when I got to see this, because I'd seen it on TV, you know, seeing the top cores, that's one thing. But when you see them live, it's like, oh, that's what it is. This is great stuff. And, um, from there i just you know i just latched on to this it was that i lived for going to the practices like you said earlier um, it was looking forward to being there on, on the practice fields looking to be at the shows even looking forward to marching parades where you know you're going to be dog tired at the end of it but you're still you know putting out your maximum effort and i just kept doing that until it got to the point where I couldn't march anymore. I was at that age out year anyway, but you know, it's like, well, I need I needed to actually do a real job in this world. So, um, but that, but in turn, all that experience helped me in that job because I got a promotion in the job, and so I got to move up in the company there. So, all in all, it was a great experience. But I really loved it, and I loved going to shows. I kept going to shows even after I left. And and, and then, you know, I got this opportunity to get back into this. um, You know, in the early two thousands, when the uh, core had actually uh, made the transition to being big time world class, and we'd actually uh, made the finals, which I was there at that show in Madison, which, you know, that was, it was just, that was an emotional experience for me, actually, actually. I can I shed can. a little tear because I just oh, remember yeah, five years yeah. ago we finished last.
1: I even did too, yeah. I was in a different yeah. core and I shed a tear. Yeah. Garth, when did you fall in love with drum corps? What, was drum corps in color in those days?
2: <laughs> <laughs> was drum corps
4: <laughs> in color? Well, only in person.
2: <laughs> oh, day. Yeah, it's,
4: it's been uh, a roller coaster ride. Uh, when did you fall in love? When did you ecstatic. fall in love with
1: it? Yeah.
4: Oh, geez! From the very beginning.
1: From the beginning, from the just felt right.
4: Beginning, because yeah. I went out on there on that field, and there were other people my age that I could relate to, that I was, wow, this is really cool. I want to do this. But yeah, from the very beginning, that was <laughs> one. When uh, when I was instructing and we won All-American National, that was another. Mm-hmm. I just oh, wow! I love this so much because I just started teaching, and here I was teaching a national championship core. I want to keep doing this.
1: Hell yeah! There was I had
3: another experience too that uh, really solidified it for me too, and that was our top twelve year in 2002 when. Uh, I went on tour with the Corps, and I was in charge of our souvenir wagon, which was a trailer that had lights on it at night, and it was pulled by a uh, by a, a, um, another vehicle that I tried to sleep in and couldn't. <laughs> but uh, that was an experience in and of itself by traveling with the Corps. That whole season, we started out in Spokane, and then we went down to California. And I remember, I remember San Diego, particularly because I was taking one of my typical cold showers, and up from the drain <laughs> came these black bugs. Oh, <laughs> oh boy! So I, I I remember that a lot,
1: and but I had you fall in love with drug corps.
3: Well, yeah, it, it, kind of guy. it gives you it gives you a perspective, so that when the good experiences happen, those really stick in your mind. I mean, you,
2: yeah, that's when you know you love yeah. drum corps when yeah. you can take a cold shower and watch bugs come up from the ceiling <laughs> yeah. and you're still, having yeah. well, you're still having a good time. Yeah, still having a good time.
3: There were <laughs> there were a lot of neat things that happened on that tour. Uh, I remember going to Erie, uh, Pennsylvania, and our housing situation. Um, we were, I think it was, a, it was either a VFW or an American Legion post there that um, had the whole drum corps in for a meal. And to have a meal that was cooked by someone else other than our own cook staff was really, really a treat. <laughs>
0: Special.
3: <laughs> so hey, that, yeah. another, and then we went to the Midwest and we were in uh, the Blue Coats show and they, they uh, performed their show, their home co- their home show in a high school stadium that seated eighteen thousand people, and uh, there was a Damn. there was at least a dozen cores there at that show, and they fed every one of us. They gave every staff member and core member a box oh, lunch, and I remember that being a very special I thing know. to do for all the drum cores. Wow. And then, and, went- oh, go ahead. And then we went to Madison, of course. And uh, being in the top 12 means that you've performed the last night and on TV. And so that was a, the epitome, the first, the first time that we were ever top 12 core. That was just amazing.
1: For those that don't know, getting into the top 12 is very elite. It's extremely difficult to do. It takes so much effort, so much expertise. It's a huge accomplishment. It's like right. uh, it's like winning a championship. It's it's uh, I would compare it to being in the playoffs in the NFL. I think that's fair. Or yeah. in right. the Olympics, you know, it, it's that that level that you've achieved that level.
3: Right. I remember that show being a very special show that year too. It was an all Leonard Bernstein show called City Riffs, and. uh, it was uh it was not a a, a real, in your face kind of show. It was more subtle, and uh, I just loved the way the kids performed it. They were very dedicated. It was a, core that was very um, mature, and uh, I think I think that it we came back home, feeling just on top of the world.
1: Mm. It's fantastic. It's
0: fantastic. You know, Tim, I wanted to ask you just as an aside. When the four of you got into the, uh, see, in the seventies, I'm aware of this. In the, um, when the four of you got into the car to go to uh, Boise, Idaho, you know, the drinking age in Boise, Idaho, was eighteen. You didn't have anything. <laughs> to, you didn't <laughs> yeah, have any reason yeah. to do that, did you? <laughs> well, I was '74, and
2: actually, Were you up to drive. I was, I was the oldest. Of the four of us, if I remember, correctly. were you old enough to drive? Oh, so, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So skirted that question. I had a license. It was all li- we all had license, all right, so it was all li- okay, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, we we're unfortunately a year too young, so we did not partake yeah. so of the uh, of it, yeah. uh the, the more adult beverages, sure. Mm-hmm.
0: But in Boise, Idaho, they really didn't care, they wanted your dollar fifty for a
2: pint. <laughs> well, we didn't think about that, we knew that we had to be back. In Seattle the next day, and uh, oh, yeah. wow. um, so we drove that night back into town and came to practice. And uh, Garth's dad kind of lit into us a little about that too, you know, saying, "You know, you you could have been killed on the highway or something." <laughs> you know, it's like, "Oh yeah, but we got to see the top cores. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it just, you know, it was just one of those experiences. So. And uh, what was it? I know that. Uh, a few years later, we stayed in, that, Clarkston? Yeah, Clarkston. You know, we stayed in Lewiston. Um, or no, we stayed in Clarkston. Lewiston was just across the border. And all of us that were of age, because like you said, Idaho was uh, 18 for legal drinking age. And there were a bunch of us that were at that age or older. Oh. Was like, none of you make that trip over across that border. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm just shocked. I'm I'm
1: just. <laughs> Timothy. I'm just speechless.
2: Well, we didn't. You know, I, I had. I, I. I behaved myself, for a you change.
0: <laughs> Congratulations. We got, got your back this. too. Yeah. <laughs>
2: we
1: got your back too.
0: Well, gentlemen, it's you know I want to honor your time. It's been awesome to have you here. We'd like to follow you throughout the the course of the season. And to, and to do all of that and, and to talk to some of the kids, I imagine some of these kids are just going to blow us away with their how mature they are, their work ethic and and, uh, and the things that you guys have taught them and And I want to personally thank you three because you've you've dedicated your lives to these kids and how many hundreds of have you ever thought about how many hundreds of kids that you've directly impacted in a real positive way over the course of time? Yeah. yeah,
4: when you start teaching the grandchildren of members that marched with you, you know, God you Lee. know, you've covered some territory. Yeah, <laughs> please, Garth.
1: That's amazing. You
3: know, the that's neat thing is that we still have contact with some of these kids that we that we've uh, taught back in the '70s too, and that that's really a. Uh, that really feels great too. And they still remember their core experience and what you did for them. And that, that makes me feel really good. Yeah, as yeah, well I, you should. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I I like to think that, you know, and I want to thank Garth and Dave and Ed um, for uh, kind of providing me with the guidance um, to uh, get to where I did um, after I left Drum Corps. I think, you know, without that kind of, um, leadership and, uh, um, mentor, um, um, ideas that I probably, I, I don't think I would have become the person that I became once I left. I wouldn't, you know, maybe I wouldn't be here today, but, uh, you know, I, I think that they were very influential in helping me become a better person. And that's what we want to do now. We want to help these kids become better people as they become adults.
0: Right, And I'll tell you, Tim, to rise to the position that you did with Metro is no easy, small feat. That, that takes a lot of testing. It takes a lot of work and, and stuff. And I applaud you for, for getting to where you got to.
2: That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, it was, it was a hard haul. But, you know, once again, the, the experience that I developed from Drum Corps helped me get to that stage. You
0: were used to hard work to achieve your goals, and if exactly. you can do that, if you can do that, in and we can teach the youth of America. And I tell you, what you guys are doing is so needed now. It is so needed uh, to to get the kids um, understanding what it's really like to grow up and and to have and to to really ach- work at a dream and achieve that dream. And even if they don't get to the top twelve, they still are part of a group that is working. For a common purpose and a common goal, and it's—I applaud you guys for doing what you do, and the and the the core for exists, the core that it exists. I wish there were more cores available for kids to go to now.
2: Well, we we appreciate that too. Thank you very much, Kevin, for um, um, bringing us on in the first place, but uh, but also to give us the opportunity to talk about the activity and about the how. It is that you look at the, the times of today and you look at um, some of the things that are troubling, but then you look at this activity and what it can do for an individual. Um, you, know, you, you don't have to become a CEO of a top five uh, company. You don't have to be you know, a, a big time manager of some other place. Um, this helps you instill skills that will provide you the opportunities to move however far you want to move. And, and that's that's really what it's all about. It, it's giving people that that vision to see that, hey, you know what? Once I become an adult, um, you know, I can go out in the real world and I've dealt with bunches of people. I've been to places and it. And that's another thing about this is that some of these kids may not get that opportunity to travel across country like they do now. Now, mind you, it's it's high speed trip, but um, to be able to see places that you may never even get to see again, it it just it helps you realize that there's more than just Seattle or there's more than just. Portland, or there's more than just Spokane, you know, that there's all these other places that you see and all these other people that you have an opportunity to meet that, you know, will help enrich your life. I'm willing to
0: bet that the kids that uh, are from Seattle and Portland and grew up in the Northwest, and then you get the opportunity to go to the Midwest where it's 90 degrees with 90 degree humidity and, and the different types of individuals and people that are out there that I bet you a lot of them stay here. (laughs) <laughs> this, this is the best place in the world to live yep
2: yep, that's true those cockroaches told me the yeah.
3: northwest is the place to be
2: yeah cockroaches the size of small cars are not uh, the, the kind of thing you want to deal with or like you said oppressive humidity um, being what do they call it the swamp tour when they're going down to San Antonio and working their way east towards Atlanta Oh, geez. all you feel is intense heat and intense humidity, and you know it's air you can wear, and it's just so hard on you. But that also helps strengthen you along the way. But again, like you said, you, know, you get to realize well, I don't want to live there when I <laughs> when I become. A you know, it it better be a very good job for them to put me away from Seattle.
0: Yeah. yeah, my my son, he he always said, "I want to get away from Seattle. I want to get away from." Until he took a traveling job, hmm. and uh, when he was done with that, he said, "I'm never leaving this place again." Yeah. <laughs> oh. See,
3: I want to. I want to thank you, Kevin and Eric, both of you for making this happen. It's been, it's been great, and I uh, thank you. Yeah, I was also wondering if um, maybe on a future podcast, you might be interested in coming out to a rehearsal and catching what they're doing as far as preparing for the new season and then being able to talk to some of the kids at that loc- at that location.
1: Very much, I've got a GoPro camera. And I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, record some of your rehearsals and uh, do some mm. editing and stuff and turn it over to you guys so you can use it for your purposes as well.
2: Mm. It'd be great. Yeah,
0: we, that we would love to do that as we get down as we get farther down the road. That would be just following you guys. Yeah, it would be a real, it would be real interesting for the community because they don't know. All they know is that the, the, that you guys put on a hell of a show. They don't know how it got there and how hard you guys have to work to do what you do. Right. And from from the, just the logistics, all by itself, is just amazing. It's like you guys are a small army.
2: Oh well, yeah. Right? Well, it's really definitely it's like moving, yeah, it's like moving a small city, you know, moving exactly. another city every single day for you know six weeks. Wow, and I've totally self right? Yeah.
1: yeah, I've got yeah. December 17th on my calendar.
2: Okay,
0: excellent. Yeah, so and, and Eric, you're, you're you'll be in charge of this little adventure and because uh, you know what you're doing, and I'll be tagging along just for fun. <laughs>
2: But it's, 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 well, you'll enjoy the ride. It's fun. I,
0: I, I've i met some really, really cool people that are now adults that that praise the core that they were in and, and said it was just a wonderful, wonderful lifetime experience. And they are, to a person, I know not one of them, that that has fallen off and as not a not a good human being. Hmm. And when, he knows
1: when, uh, Mary Doolittle. He's friends with Mary Doolittle and Rick Burns. He was a neighbor of theirs.
4: Okay. Yeah. And I
0: and I met uh, Mr. Doolittle, and uh, and stuff, and 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 um, Gail and TJ. They were they were in the core too, weren't they? Yes. Eric.
1: Yeah. Gail was a rifle. TJ was was a lead. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. Yeah, so, all good.
2: these
0: people are just great people. So you, you, the work you're doing is and and plus the fact that neither none of you guys have got a kid in the core you may have a grandchild in the core, but, but <laughs> so you're doing this out of the love for right, and giving yeah. back to the community. And right, we applaud that greatly.
3: Thank you. You know, one other thing that I want to, uh, salute too is, you know, even though we're the only existing core in the, in the Seattle area, we've, we've had a lot of support from other core members. Um, uh, that help us in our show and help us with other things that we do. So we really salute all of the drum corps in the Northwest that existed because they're they're still a part of our history and they're a part of us moving
0: forward. Have you have you thought about doing a bingo parlor? No, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, we don't we don't want to be here with that. There's
1: a subject. There's a subject.
0: There's a probably can of worms that I should leave just <laughs> on the shelf over there.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. So, Eric, any any, any other questions? Would, anything you'd like to go before we go?
1: No, I'm just going to say, you know, drum corps is a community. We've talked about the other uh, drum corps they've brought up. Uh, the other drum corps up here in the Northwest, and there used to be many. There used to be, what, right. uh, seven or eight just in Seattle. Oh, there were, yeah. there there were
2: there more like five, five within Seattle and another couple just on the outskirts so bremerton um, and, and and bremerton auburn bellevue auburn and bellevue
1: um, i mean they were all over the place every community had a drum corps and the great. cascades cascades through perseverance and and uh perseverance some good uh good decisions and let's be honest some lucky ones uh, survived you know the 50 60 years and now they're They're the game in town. And since uh, the community, all of us, that we're all in different drum corps, love drum corps, uh, we are very supportive of what the Cascades have done. And we admire uh, that they are still here and putting out a product that we are all just very proud of to see and the fact that they were top 12 in that year and what we've seen since is just remarkable and I urge the people that are tuning into this and haven't seen drum corps go on to YouTube uh Cascades have some uh tape on there YouTube Cascades I think 2015 was the uh earliest I've seen but there are bits of uh, the Cascades and there are some other drum corps it is an absolutely fantastic activity And if you even ignore that kids are doing this and just try to enjoy it as an art form, you're going to get something out of it. You're going to get something out of it. it, At at times, it is absolutely breathtaking. And as good as an experience, it'll be on YouTube, because I know a lot of people have big screens and great speakers out there. And as good as it is on, on YouTube and whatever other media you have, you have to see it live. There is absolutely yes. <laughs> no comparison. This is a live right. performance that must not be missed.
3: Here's another. Here's another
0: de- uh, date. Oh, when somebody's coming on or something. That was, um, that was one of a, one of our our uh, regular contributors that can't be here because she's suffering from a a. Fortunately, it's a it's a condition that will terminate itself uh, in nine months. Uh, Oh, (laughs) oh, she's (laughs) suffering from pregnancy at the moment. She's working on a future member for you guys. Yeah, that's right. right. Uh,
3: So another date that I wanted to mention to everybody is July 9th, 2022. That's our Renton show, the Seattle Summer Music Games. Uh, It'll be at the Renton Memorial Stadium. And uh, we've turned it into an all-day event. There'll be a uh, beer and wine garden for alumni and adults. There will be entertainment before the show with by, from the Seattle Sounders, um, Soundwave, and the, the the Blue Thunder. We have a marketplace with all the drum corps and other businesses that uh, participate, and. Uh, it's just a, a wonderful, and then we have about five or six food trucks that will be there. So it's a it's a very fun experience for everybody.
1: We'll make sure that we have you guys on before that show, and then I'll have my camera that day and, and record uh, the right. happenings of that day.
3: Okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, watch out for the beer garden. That's all I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, well, I remember some welcome.
0: of those
1: old senior cores that were in town.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah The Barcorn. Okay, right.
0: You don't want to go down, room down room that road either room. there Eric. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so gentlemen, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. I know great. we're gonna do it again. Uh, Eric is your contact and uh, and we'll we'll set it up and, and we'll make it we'll make it happen for you. And we're just beginning our, our little run that we're gonna uh, do some great things here. So I'm going on uh, live radio again uh eric is going to help me with that and we've got two podcasts that we're going to be operating and a bunch of other stuff so we're really Great. looking forward to it all Good. thank
4: you
2: thank you i appreciate looking it thank you me. very much guys thank you guys thank, thank you. you now if you
0: guys will hang there for just one second i've got to do this and then we'll we'll say goodbye off off the uh, um off the air